namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa mutang dhammang sanggang namasam Recently, uh, various people uh, asked me questions about samadhi, and usually translated as concentration, or we could also say collectedness, or particularly about um, the difficulties with it, not being able to do it, <laughs> and its place in, the, in meditation, in the Buddhist path. And also related to that, yes, the, the difficulties to stay with the breath as a focus of attention, not being able to stay with it or to yeah, to either just keep drifting off it or to, to disappear in some kind of maybe peaceful but foggy kind of uh, unclear state of mind. Sama Samadhi, no, that's one of the factors of the Eightfold Path and the Buddha praised it, made a lot of it. It obviously has an important place in the Buddhist teaching or meditation. One thing that's perhaps good to remember is that, uh, like, like the Buddha was saying, with, like, with, with all the different factors of the Eightfold Path, the Buddha said they always have to be developed with uh, three particular factors, which are themselves uh, factors of the Eightfold Path. Um, right view, um, right mindfulness, and right effort. <sighs> right view, of course, gets different explanations in different places in the suttas, but the main one, of course, an understanding of the Four Noble Truths, so the direction the interest on the mind and some basic understanding about suffering or disease, the cause of it, the, the, the cessation of it, the possibility of cessation, well, and the, the path that leads to the uh, ending of suffering itself. And uh, right effort, of course, being uh, the effort to, to develop what's wholesome, what's useful, what leads to well-being and to abandon that which we recognize as unwholesome or leading to disease. And mindfulness. So, particularly the qualification that the Buddha gave, the way I understand it at least, or recorded from the teachings, is for concentration or collectedness to be the right kind of collectedness, samasamadhi, uh, mindfulness, and so is it a clear comprehension, uh, have to be present there all the time. Now, if there's no uh, clarity of presence and understanding of what is happening, what we are doing, it's easy to just like, disappear in some peaceful kind of soporific kind of state of mind. You know? or basically kind of a, sometimes again, if these blackout types of, I don't know whether I want to call them samadhi experiences, but you know, certainly of, of calm. Now, you don't really know very much what's going on there. If you don't remember what happened you know, in that calm period of meditation, then that's not uh, what the Buddha qualified as, as right samadhi. Mm. And so those qualities, effort, right view, which means kind of understanding, uh, clear comprehension, you no know, falls into that, that, that category of, of the wisdom quality of understanding and presence of mind, mindfulness, something that, that should be present throughout our whole kind of meditation in, in, right into more concentrated, collected states of mind. And we can actually start cultivating them right from the beginning, as we set out, set out with our meditation, by reflecting on what might actually be an adequate way of going about it, what would actually be an adequate, useful um, meditation object 
for to to place my attention on right now as I start meditating. You reflect upon that, not to just follow some kind of uh, routine because that's what we always have done or what we heard somewhere or read in a book because that's what we're supposed to be doing. But it starts by evaluating what is actually my state of mind right now and considering how I'm right now, I'm entering, what, what do I bring with me to this meditation? What might actually be useful right now to actually do with my attention if I want to cultivate it? Because, you know, according to the Buddha, this idea of meditation, it's not just some kind of, kind of technique. It's about cultivating the mind, cultivating the attention, bhavana. No, let's see what that word means. And uh, I often also, uh, yes, recently in, in, con in the context of these questions, uh, people who ask me about these, the difficulty of staying with the meditation object were reporting that we're using uh, anapanasati. And what we're doing is just trying to focus attention on the sensations of the air with the breath coming in and out of the nostrils. Now, that's a very refined, subtle sensation. And perhaps unless your mind is already very calm, refined, precise, this is probably relatively well. It's difficult to notice in the first place and probably not particularly interesting for a start. <laughs> and so this is a bit like doing some you know, refined crafts work you know, or, or fine mechanical work, you know, trying to repair a watch, uh, a wrist watch, for example, with um, boxing gloves on. You know, as you're not going to get very far. It doesn't connect. You know. Can't, can't get any grip of it, can't get any hold of it. The, because the object that you're, that you're choosing for meditation is just too subtle for the state of mind that you're in. And the, the, the capacity of attention at that moment is just not developed enough to actually hold to that kind of object or even get an interest in it. So then what happens is what's the common experience. You know? If that is the case, um, then it's natural then that either, well, attention keeps slipping off going to something that is more interesting, or apparently more interesting, or is, is more loudly shouting for attention. You know, look here, look here. You know? Maybe, you know, stuff that we're carrying with ourselves, you know, things that we bring into the meditation, conflicts perhaps, or just or pain in the shoulder, or some interesting, you know, mental preoccupation, whatever, um, obsesses your attention. Or if that's not that, so that would be kind of, if you're more on the restless side, too much energy in the mind and undirected energy, restless kind of energy. Or if that's not enough, then it's just not, not clear enough something to actually stick to, not interesting enough. So the mind just drops into what we call kind of sloth and torpor, isn't it? It just disappears in a kind of foggy kind of state, you know, which is kind of peaceful, but <laughs> it's not, not, there's no clarity there. And it's, so it's not very satisfactory, actually. And certainly not very beneficial for cultivating neither attention, nor clarity, nor wisdom, or anything. There's nothing coming out of that. And even, and that's interesting, if we are kind of successful with it, it there, there can be certain dangers um, in certain kind of imbalances in which we develop actually attention to this chosen meditation object, you know, things being left out. That's not necessarily, of course, what happens, but what can happen, and what seems to happen for some people, you, know, you get this that kind of idea that really what you should be doing is really focus on this particular sensation and anything else becomes a distraction. So you try to push it away, maybe, you know, or not, not look at it. Then if you're successful, then you know, everything out there kind of disappears, either completely or in a fog. The body disappears. 
uh, until there's only some little kind of cloud of sensation kind of left, kind of suspended in the air, you know, where your, your nose is. You know, your nose is supposed to be, you know. And then if you really get good, if you really get concentrated, even that disappears. <laughs> and then nothing is left. Which is certainly peaceful, nothing happening. But then, what next? Then maybe, you know, after an in kind of some unspecified time, you kind of come out of that state, you know, like waking up from a coma or something. <laughs> Think, oh, you know, here I am again, what happened? You know, the bell rang or something, and oh, an hour passed. Wow, where, where have I just been? You know, everything kind of went out, everything disappeared, must have been Samadhi. Maybe I went into jhanas, you know. You know, jhanas, those states of deep concentration that are considered kind of attainments and therefore become kind of obscure objects of spiritual desire for some people. <laughs> so trying hard to attain. And then you get this kind of experience, which is unusual, you haven't heard before, and then you might think it's something like that. As far as I know, it's not. Well, I haven't got much uh, experience with, with deeper states of, of collectedness, but there are people who talk about it, or many people who talk about it, um, you know, apparently from experience, who are quite skilled at those states of mind, certainly worn. Some Thai teachers from Thai forest tradition uh, call that delusion samadhi. You know, it's a kind of a state of mind where there is no mindfulness, there's no awareness, there's no clear comprehension, there's peace, but it's a stupid kind of peace. You, know? it's, you, you cannot develop anything in there. And if you are not wary of that, then the mind can get conditioned, conditioned to be quite attracted to that because it's, certainly, it's, it's a certain kind of peace, you know? blanking out everything, blocking out everything that could be troublesome. So the mind can get kind of addicted to that and your mind can actually can become a habit that you keep dropping into that state, that, or those types of states, uh, which are not particularly useful. Again, therefore, the, the criterion then to remember is to say, really, if you don't remember what happened during what, however long that state would have lasted, then obviously there was no presence of mind, there was no mindfulness, and obviously no clear comprehension. So then that's not something that qualifies as, as right kind of concentration or collectedness. So it certainly wasn't, you know, jhana or something like that. Oh, but by no means, that is, that's by no means, of course, something that necessarily has to happen if, if you go about meditation like that. But this is certainly a, a danger, there's a likelihood. If we develop concentration in this kind of way, if we kind of uh, go to, for a very refined kind of sensation and they were kind of trying to, to become calm and focused by blocking out kind of parts of, you know, other parts of our experience. There's certainly a danger that uh, attitudes can actually creep into that kind of focus that are not particularly helpful, you know, like denial or, uh, you know, denying, trying to getting away from parts of our experience that we find unpleasant. Um, or repression would be another one, or aversion, no? so, say so parts of our physical experience, just trying to get away from what's, what's unpleasant by absorbing, as it were, into some kind of neat, kind of cozy little protected space. So another one that goes with it, of course, is a con controlling, no mind, trying to control our experience. It's a bit like the, the image came to my mind, like if you're having, you know, in a room and it is in a kind of a mess, you just create a little corner, you know, which is very kind of neat and tidy. 
and then you know if you get just just kind of overwhelmed by all the untidiness and you, know, you just get into this nice little corner that you've made yourself comfortable and tidy and then you ignore everything else and then you're having a, a good and peaceful nice time as long as you're in there but then and the more you enjoy that being in that nice little tiny kind of or comfortable corner well the less inclined you're going to feel to actually tidy up the mess in the rest of your room but you're going to have to come out of your corner sooner or later and you're going to have to deal <laughs> with the mess and you can of course then create more and more it's an imbalance uh, because the more then you actually become attached to the piece that you have managed to cultivate in this specific little space that you've become skillful about, the more resistant you might actually feel about dealing with the rest of it. You know? And the more tempting it might be that every time you feel too burdened again, too annoyed, you just disappear into your, the, that sweet little place that you have actually managed to cultivate for yourself. So that's a something to watch out for, actually, in our practice. You know, if we become actually successful in creating kind of tidy, neat little spaces in our minds that we can disappear into. Now, many of us, particularly if we have very kind of busy, modern intellectual minds might not actually be very able to do that in the first place. <laughs> but I have certainly had, you know, concrete examples of people who, on retreats, for example, that I've taught, who reported that to me, who had learned a technique meditation, became very skilled at it, perhaps being very, uh, being quite willful about it and quite able to actually control the mind and really focus, say, on the breasts or whatever the meditation object were and carve out a really nice, pleasant kind of space in the mind there that they could disappear into. And it was on a retreat where I was giving a similar kind of reflection like today that one person I thought about actually came to me afterwards and thought about that. This was the first time they actually really saw what they were doing because they just had a car accident not long before the retreat. And because of the car accident, they had a lot of discomfort in the body. Um, and they couldn't actually sit comfortably as they were used to in the past. But they had actually, through techniques and certain amount of willpower, being able to control their mind very well, developed this possibility to just really focus on the breath and ignore the pain in the body and go into the kind of peaceful state of mind but had missed out on the opportunity to actually examine their relationship to pain and the, the suffering that they were experiencing, they were creating around the discomfort that they had in the body by just having this little escape route you know, to get into the, into the safe room you know, every now and then and having a break. But of course, you can't live your life from living in the safe room. Sooner or later, you're going to have to come out again, relate to your body, relate to other people, relate to life. So, but because it had been just very obvious there because of the car accident and this very clear thing of what, what, how they were doing, using their meditation in relationship to the physical discomfort from the car accident, they could see how that's actually something that has started to develop in the life in general. So not really using the meditation and also the... <coughs> you know, whatever strengths or focus of attention they might have been able to do to cultivate in, in meditation, to examine their relationship with experience. And this, you know, whether it's physical sensations in the body that are unpleasant, or, you know, relationships or whatever, but rather escaping from that, going into that space that they had actually been able to build for themselves, which was kind of safe and nice and comfortable for a time. And that becomes very difficult to give up. You know, that's why it also can become such a, a, a habit that might not always be useful. So I think that illustrates a bit this, this possible danger if we use 
the idea of focusing our attention in an object in order to get concentration with this narrow sense of, of focus if it uh, happens in this unexamined way. If there's no strong mindfulness and clear comprehension about what we're actually doing, what the motivation behind it is actually about, if that's not questioned, you know, if they, that the supposed meditator who's actually doing this, using a technique, is actually not questioned in, in, in terms of the motivations and therefore the attitudes that go into the way in how we actually try to control our attention. We might actually just feed attitudes in the mind like aversion to discomfort, denial, control, I mentioned those before, which might help for a certain time to create a certain kind of controlled experience, as long as we can keep that together, but that are not necessarily helpful in the long term in terms of understanding actually the sources of causes of suffering, because they are part of the causes of our suffering, which we are feeding no, through our attitude in meditation, that we feed on, that we use there for, for meditation. Then it becomes what the Buddha called mismeditating and wrong concentration. Micha hmm. Samadhi. So one thing that I like to suggest uh, to try with is instead actually to use a much broader focus of attention. So if you stay with the breath, using the breath, Rather than having a specific kind of idea, like where you're supposed to watch your breath and what technique to use or whatever, I often like to offer just a suggestion to ask yourself when you're sitting here, how do I know that I'm breathing right now? Well, you just ask yourself the question and then listen. Listen to, listen to your body. Feel what you're feeling. What are the sensations that actually indicate that you're breathing. And also that way you're not imposing a particular kind of idea about what's supposed to happen and what you're supposed to be doing. You actually listen to experience. <laughs> so your base, actually, your, your practice not in an idea, on a fixed idea, but on your experience. You listen, and that doesn't always have to be the same, no? Depending on what's going on for you right now, depending on your, the, the state of mind, the quality of attention, you might actually pick up different things at different times and your mind or your attention might be attracted to different kind of experiences you know there are a lot of ways in which we can notice that the body is breathing because there's actually there's a lot of the body if not the whole body is actually involved with the breathing breathing isn't just something that we do with our nose no or with a nostril obviously it's usually it's involved <laughs> with the breathing process but you know there's more of the body involved with it obviously no Maybe you sit down you know, and that's what you feel. Well, that's fine. Then maybe if you feel okay, that's the first thing that you notice and what your attention is attracted, you might go there. And if you feel that very clearly and you feel really attracted to that, well, maybe that's, that might be useful. You can develop that. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you feel it in the chest or in your belly. Maybe you feel your whole body just moving with the in and out breath. Once you made a first contact um, that you feel comfortable with, well, evaluate a bit. You know, what is, how do I actually, do I investigate your breath? How do I actually feel my breathing right now? Is it shallow? Is it deep? Is it fast? Is it slow? Is it short? Is it long? Is it subtle? Is it rough? What is the quality of my attention? Do I feel really attracted to the breath? Do I find it easy? Does my attention find easily merge with the breath? Is it something that, you know, I feel kind of buoyed by and energized by? Or is it something that is just a boring chore or something that I hardly make and make any contact with it do I keep disappearing in a fog or is my mind all over the place notice that no use your discernment be aware of what's actually your experience right now evaluate it use clear comprehension investigate and then adjust your meditation accordingly 
So usually, even maybe if maybe out of habit, first thing you notice actually the sensations of the, the air coming in and of the, out of the nostrils, you might then actually find that after one, two, three breaths, then actually you very quickly lose it. Your mind might move on to something else, being too distracted, no? Because of the reasons that I mentioned before. Well, then think about it, you know? <laughs> Use your intelligence to think of what might actually be more appropriate right now. No, if my, my attention isn't very clear, isn't very stable, isn't very fine, well, maybe I might need to use a bit more coarser object that is more easy to actually notice and stay with. No? Like notice maybe the belly moving. No? Or maybe just the whole body. You know, something that you really feel, something that you can more, more easy stay with. Or likely, perhaps, at the beginning, even more recommendable for some people, depending, just check it out for yourself, Stay with an activity. Do something active with your attention rather than just demanding or asking you to be passively aware of, of some sensations. It's much more, in my experience, it's probably like that for almost all of us, it's easier to stay with an activity than just passively aware of some sensation. I mean, we can just find that out for ourselves. If I do something, it's something more tangible, isn't it? Something I can hold on to with my my attention. Also, it's energizing a bit, doing something active, isn't it? So, of course, some people, they propose the more kind of mental activities like counting your breaths and, or using a mantra like Buddha, Buddha, we can do those kind of things. That it puts a little more, a little more of definition in, into the, the connection of attention with the breath, bringing body and mind together on the breath. I usually like to do something more active with the attention, bringing the attention and the breath together in the body. No? using the fact that we can actually, as it were, move the focus of our attention through the body. No, I can direct the focus of my attention. I can just feel now, well, ask myself, well, what, what is my right foot doing, you know? And it's, it's, it, it's how it appears like, isn't it? If somebody up here, you know, is going to look down to the foot or something, there's, of course, an initial, slightly distorted or primitive view of things. But, you know, it's, it's like, ah, you listen down there, ah, yes, I know where my right foot is, and so I can bring the focus of my attention there, and then I can like move along, like saying, oh, now I move my attention, the focus of my attention, to my right knee, and then to my left ear, or whatever, I can move it around. No? Hopefully that's something that you can all relate to. So that is something that I personally, as as I like to do by just moving the focus of my attention to the whole body in synchronicity with the breath. For example, I place, as it were, my attention on my skin, on the outside of the body. For a start, you know, feeling more, of course, you feel kind of somehow the whole body, hopefully, more or less. But say, if I particular kind of focus, notice, try to notice kind of the skin, the outside of the body. And then, while well, I notice that my body's breathing, and something that's happening in that area, physical sensations that indicate the body. So, okay, I notice how it feels like when I breathe in, it's different from when I notice and I breathe out. So when I notice that I breathe in, it's like I move my attention from the outside of the body to the center of the body. No, it's just like imagining that I'm breathing in with the whole body. Not just use your, use, well, that's what I do. I use my imagination, isn't it? Just moving the focus, drawing, as it were, the focus together. No? Like a sphere or something that is attached you know, with, with strings to my fist, and then I pull it together. No? So the intention moves inward to the belly with the in-breath. And then when I breathe out again, I move the focus of the tension outwards again, like sweeping through the whole body, and imagine that I breathe out through the whole skin of my body. Mm -hmm.
it's just one thing that one can do, like one can do many other things, of course, not just one example of bringing together the mind, the attention, intention, and actually the, the sensation of the breath you know, in an active kind of way. And I find it useful also because I cannot use that to consciously connect with and, and cultivate particular helpful attitudes like kindness. You know, I'm going to talk about meta meditation, there are many forms traditional forms of meta-meditation. Meta so one thing I like to do is that way. You know, I really connect to this idea of spreading kindness, you know, um, a feeling of, of, of well-wishing you know, towards myself, my own body, and maybe everybody else who's sitting in the room or around me, but just really like imagining of when I breathe in, drawing the attention inwards, you know, breathing in goodness inwards, and then particularly when I breathe out again, just bringing in this intention of goodness into the attention that moves through the body. So as I'm breathing out, you know, I'm imagining that I'm, I'm breathing out this energy of well-wishing or something. So this is ways that we can use our mind, uh, the imagine, imaginative capacities you know, of our mind to connect them consciously to the breath and do something with it, work with the breath. You, know? you all have very active minds. You know? There's a lot of intelligence gathered here in this room <laughs> and we've got a lot of imagination so rather than putting kind of a, a, a task onto our mind asking it to do something that's rather boring and not very imaginative like just listen, notice the sensation of the air coming in and out of the, the nostril, notice the difference in the temperature <laughs> no, and then the mind that is used to actually to enjoy themselves by imagining and thinking and being, being intelligent just says, oh, well, that's boring, just go to something else, you know, imagine what I'm going to have for lunch tomorrow or, you know, how I'm, I don't know, solving some intellectual kind of difficult questions or whatever, or, you know, how I'm going to sort out my relationships or whatever. Well, use the imagination, the intelligence to engage with the breath in, in an imaginative, intelligent way. No, this, this term that, the, that the, the Buddha uses in Pali, ekagata, the one-pointedness, sometimes, slightly unimaginatively, people think, oh, one-pointedness. Minds me, I, I, I have to put my attention on one point. So, okay, one point. Well, the nostril isn't quite a point, but it's, that's perhaps the closest to the point that I can get, you know, with something tangible in the body. So one point, I make my mind one-pointed, you know, on, on the nostril. <laughs> but, you know, as some people also translate that it's just a one-pointed one preoccupation. As they say, you just preoccupied your mind with your breath. It doesn't have to mean that you have to be like, have a needle-like kind of pointed attention. It just means that you're not getting distracted into, you know, the latest football results or, or, you know, whatever else you might be interested in. You just preoccupy yourself with your breath. You know, that's a form of unpointedness. You know? But it can, at the beginning, still be discursive, actually. But the discursive intention is about the breath. You evaluate the breath. How's my breath right now? What would be a good kind of breathing? So that's another way you can engage with your breath, is trying to, once you see how your breath is, Ask yourself, ask yourself, well, how, how do I feel the breath in different parts of my body? Where do I feel the breath in my body? Can I extend the feeling of my breath in, in my body? No. First of all, I know it's not just the nose that's involved. There's the go down somewhere, there's the lungs. So there's a whole rib cage. We feel it in the belly. You know, if, if our rib cage expands, our shoulders expand, you know, there's a lot of in the body that's involved with. If I connect to the idea that breath actually brings life energy into the body, Notice maybe, you know, what's the quality, the different quality of the in-breath and the out-breath. I notice that the in-breath is energizing, isn't it? If I actually 
fully attentive and really fill my lungs with, with air, allow my lungs to, to fill with air, it's energizing. Where and how do I actually feel the energy in the body? Do I just feel it in the lungs and the shoulders? Can I extend that? Can I feel this breath energy in my legs, in my feet, in my hands? Do I feel my hands and my feet in the first place? Or have I lost contact with them? So um, it's certainly one way that we can go about with working with the breath, becoming really aware of the whole body and really allowing that, that energy, that buoyancy of, of energy that comes with the breathing to even out and smoothen out the sensations in the whole body, taking then our whole body with the mind into the experience of more collectedness and calm. So then it's a way that we can avoid the, ten the possibility of tendency of going to a state of calm by rejecting part of our experience, or to acting on aversion. We're actually including, our attention is inclusive. We don't bypass anything. No? And it also forces us or invites us to examine, as we, as we keep in touch with the whole body through the breath, examine our relationship to our experience right now, our physical experience of the body, if there's discomfort in the body. No? If we want to actually bring the whole body in, calming down, bring mind and body together and calming down the wholeness of our experience of the body, the body breathing, then I will need to examine if there are things that are just uncomfortable. I say actually aversion. You know, can I actually relax the aversion? Can I relax the possible tensions, discomforts in the body? Can I make the body comfortable? Can I energize the body? Or if I can't, can I at least make the mind comfortable with the uncomfortable experience? If that happens and if that develops, it's a very different experience of calm and collectedness uh, of the mind, which I feel is much more, you might say, organic, and is much more whole, as it were, you know, because it's inclusive, and therefore will tend to be, from my experience, certainly also more likely to be more what we call like a wholesome kind of experience, right kind of samadhi. You know? The whole experience of the body and mind actually is attended to and is made comfortable in the, in the sense that we, we relax those edges where we create suffering and dis-ease around our experiences. And so that's, that also brings in a brings interesting aspect. This kind of samadhi, then you see we said to examine our, the relationship to our experience, so we have clear comprehension there. We, we really kind of we stay aware, mindful of the whole kind of body, so mindfulness goes, is, is not shut down, but it's, it's kept really open. No, taking, you know, not, not excluding any, certainly none of our physical experience of the body. And we cultivate a certain kind of level of energy. That kind of, of collectedness needs actually energy, which is actually providing that element of wakefulness in collectedness. So it's not the kind of collectedness, the kind of calm that is just going to sleep. No that we have to be aware of. You know, sometimes we talk about in meditation, we want to cultivate a balance between relaxation and wakefulness. So that wakefulness, which means energy, that is the one that, that often gets neglected, particularly if we are of the time that we feel, well, we've got a compulsive kind of thinking and judging mind anyway, which we feel is burdensome. All this thinking of what's going on, which is out of control, which we, which we experience as disturbing and dis disquiet in there. So we want to calm that down. You know? And we just put into the, attention, the intention our meditation of, I just want to get some quiet, I want to get a break. You know? So if I'm not careful there, and I don't, don't pay attention to, attend to what actually makes me and keeps me awake, 
putting energy into my meditation, by practicing wakefulness, by practicing examination, by evaluating my experience, adjusting my experience, so that there's actually clarity of presence and clear comprehension presence there, then my, my mind just, just, if I just suggest go calm, shut up, be quiet, it might just do that. It'll gonna go quiet, shut up, go to sleep, puts the lights out. And you're gonna have, what are you gonna ask for? You're gonna have some quiet. But it's not gonna be the kind of quiet that the Buddha recommended in order to develop actually wisdom, which is gonna lead to the end of suffering. It's not very different from the kind of quiet that you can get by going to sleep and disappear under the blankets. You disappear under a different kind of blanket. No? It's that what I call the, the blanket over the parrot samadhi, isn't it? You just put the blanket over the parrot, the parrot thinks it's night and it goes to sleep. <laughs> but the parrot is not gonna develop any wisdom. It's probably the kind of samadhi that leads more to the development of stupidity, actually, um, which is what we're suffering from already. <laughs> the, lack of, the lack of wisdom, you know, not understanding. It is, of course, a possible and also not to develop kind of the proper kind of collectedness by, by actually cultivating attention to very refined sensation object, even mental kind of objects. It's certainly des described by various teachers, also in, in commentaries of the scriptures. However, people who, are, who seem to be skilled at that, like Bhantaguna Ratana from the Sri Lankan tradition, who's written a kind of very comprehensive kind of book about the jhanas and deeper states of concentration, you know, called Beyond Mindfulness in plain English, no? It's noticeable that even there, even he, he goes by the commentarial route about, you know, creating a mind object that's, you know, very refined, and they use that to go into deeper states of concentration. In all of the, the first... You know, the, the, the first levels, first, second, third, fourth jhanas, as they are called, the states of deeper concentration, he clearly describes them as the, the body clearly being still quite present in the mind. One doesn't lose awareness and presence of the body. The experience of the body might actually change, becomes much more refined, much lighter, brighter, energized, in fact, more pleasant. But the body is still there in the mind. You're still aware of it. You know, as he points out, through all those states of meditation, Perception and feeling actually stay present, and the perception of the body stays present. And that is certainly in line with, with how, the, how the Buddha describes those states of meditation in the, in the suttas. It's very clear. There's a very standard, very beautiful, actually, set of images that he uses to illustrate those um, states of collectedness. And all of them make very explicit and quite emphatic relationship to the body. No? By saying, like, for example, is at first state of, of, collect, of deeper collectedness, of, of absorption, as it's sometimes called, you know, is talking about the rapture and pleasure arising from seclusion is, is pervading and saturating the whole body without leaving out any part of it. Now, so it's quite emphatic, not just that the body is present, but there's not any part of the body left out of it. Everything is suffused, the whole body experience is, is suffused with this uh, pleasure and rapture arising from seclusion. No? He said like a skilled um, bath assistant using some kind of ball of soap and he drenches it with water, massages water into until the whole ball of, of salt is entirely kind of soaking up all the water without it being dripping. You know? The same way the whole body is suffused with the sense uh, of, of pleasure and rapture. So that is very much, of course, not in line with, with, uh, with an experience of samadhi where the body just disappears, isn't it? It's right the opposite. Mm. 
And in, in fact, the descriptions of all the, the other, the next three steps of deeper concentration are actually, uh, you use different similes, but they all point in the same direction. Not all of them, you know, whatever pleasure or equanimity, happiness, the, the last one even just the bright mind kind of arises from that suffuses the entire body without leaving out any part of the body in those states of concentration. So I think that is a, it's a strong indication to probably the usefulness, the idea of really being, keeping attention to, to when, we, when we start to move towards more collected states of mind, to so not leave out anything uh, in, in the body, to actually be, stay aware of the body and be very careful of what happens if part of, of that physical experience seems to you somehow a disturbance or something that you want to get rid of in order to become more concentrated. Probably something to examine what is actually happening there in the mind in terms of the attitude. Because it's probably, it's probably not the body the problem, but it's something to do with the way that I relate to the body. And if I can actually relax that attitude of re rejection in the mind, that's probably actually the way how we get into a more comfortable relationship with our, our, our experience. And out of that ease of relationship, the pleasure actually arises, which um, then helps you know, as, a, as a basis for, for actually collecting our attention and going to a deeper states of mind. Also, incidentally, in the Anapanasati Sutta, the discourse that the Buddha gave on uh, mindfulness of breathing, it was very specific. The first two steps about knowing when you breathe in long and breathe out long, that you are breathing in long and breathing out long, knowing uh, when you're breathing in short and breathing out short, that you're breathing in short, breathing out short. And then the third one is to actually while you're breathing in and out, feeling the whole body. Sometimes it's translated, even though in the Pali it just says the body, the whole body. Some commentators or translators translate that into the whole body of breath. But ultimately, I think it doesn't even have to be uh, any difference. You know, if, you, if you recall like what I've said, how we can actually work with the breath, exploring, really trying to find the experience of your breath in your whole body, then can come actually to an experience where the whole body of the breath and the whole body, the physical body, become actually one thing because we start to actually feel the breath and the whole body. The whole body becomes suffused with breath energy, with the, with the experience of the energy of the breath, and the whole experience of the, the body breathing becomes suffused with our attention. And, the, and that way our mind and body come together. And that is kind of the movement toward oneness which leads us into, into further calm, in which mindfulness and clear comprehension is present, and therefore, this kind of deeper state of mind can actually then serve for developing wisdom because we still perceive, we still feel the body. And so we can actually examine perception, feeling the body in very highly focused and energized ways. We see actually more clearly, as the Buddha said, a, a, a mind that is concentrated is like a lake which is calm and which is clear. You can, actually see, you can see actually quite clearly, you can see right to, to, the, to the bottom of things. No? And that is, of course, one of the benefits of, of going into more calm and focused states of mind. If there's clarity of, of, of mind, if there's presence there, then we actually see more clearly, no? including these three characteristics of unsatisfactoriness, of impermanence, and of um, not-self, of our experience. As well of how unsatisfactoriness arises when in the stillness, and, and wherever in the stillness, desire or aversion kind of arises and we see what, how, what that does to our experience and how it creates suffering. You know? So then actually samadhi uh, and then leads to insight you know? and it's, that's the right kind of samadhi. So I'd like to offer that for your reflection tonight. Yeah.